Yo, 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 this is A.B. Lovelady, the very black male in the digital flesh. Today, for the first episode of Very Black Male, we talked to Tomashi Jackson. This is part one of an interview that we had while she was in Houston at a artist residency in Project Row House at Third Ward, Texas. I've been looking forward to dropping this for a very, very long time. Tomashi is a brilliant visual artist studying painting and printmaking at the Yale School of Art. We discuss uh, how her work has been used and how she uses it as a tool for exploring informal economies and informal labor. Um, we talk about her performance at the New School in Manhattan, as well as her time at the Harvard School of Government studying under Martha Alter Chin. Um, there's something in here for all the art pimps, all the art hoes, anybody who's interested in uh, performance art, as well as um, global labor economics. So without further ado, Tamashi Jackson. Okay, so I'm going to just be very briefly quick explanation why I want to interview you, because I was really excited by your talk, and um, I do podcast interviews, and it's fun. Cool. It's, it's good, yeah. So just this, I'm going to ask some Questions, you can just say whatever you want. Uh, right. You can curse, you can do whatever. If that's what you're <laughs> it does into. happen sometimes. All right. So just could you briefly just describe yourself and your profession, um, where you have been and where you are from? Um, my name is Tamashi. I am a visual artist. I was born here in Houston. I grew up in Southern California. Um, I am currently living and studying in New Haven, Connecticut, going into my second year of graduate school, studying painting and printmaking at the Yale School of Art. Um, and my other East Coast homes are Cambridge, Massachusetts, and New York City. Um, yeah, that's it. Okay. Is that good? Yeah, that's great. Um, what is your morning ritual? If I'm doing right, my morning ritual is to get up uh, uh, to pray, uh, meditate for five minutes, and um, uh, make my bed, bathe. I like to brush my teeth in the shower because it feels like my mouth gets really clean. So I look forward to that. Um, and then um, I like to lay out my clothes. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if I'm at school, if it's during the school year, my morning routine includes making um, a salad um, to get me through the day, a big kale and chicken and other vegetables salad. Um, I have a thing for ice water. I think I have an iron deficiency. So I will uh, load up um, a couple of mason jars full of ice. Yeah and um, a little bottle of lime or lemon juice and pack all of those things in my purse and go over and then go to the studio. So then I don't have to leave for food. Okay. Do you have a family, children? Um, I don't. No. I'm a godmother uh, four times over. Four? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Four godchildren. Um, who first allowed you to express yourself and how? Mm. My mother, uh, my uh, adopted mother, my sister, 
and my young aunt uh, all encouraged me to draw. I was always drawing. I was, that was, uh, from, what I, from what I'm told, as soon as I could talk, I was drawing. And as soon as I could talk, I was talking a lot. So um, uh, they loved me. Okay. They loved me. And they let me be myself, which was uh, pretty awesome. Almost, almost, almost without, without restriction, they allowed me to be myself. And you grew up in California? Mm-hmm, in Los Angeles. Yes. Um, so I'm going to ask you questions about the work now. Okay. Art. Um, your senior thesis at MIT was about aesthetics on uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. Go on. Nice. <laughs> All right, go on. Sorry. Okay. Your senior thesis at MIT was about the aesthetics of societal infrastructures. Uh, specifically, the relationship between domestic labor, material infrastructure, and visual art and sound. Now, I wasn't able to find an ebook of the thesis, so uh -huh. I didn't read it. But I uh. do understand the theory a little bit. But I want to know if you could explain a bit more about how you became interested in that relationship between labor, material, and then uh, aesthetics as you translate it through whether it's sound or you know visual art. Um. The title of the um, the thesis document um, is uh, what is it? The seen, the unseen, and the aesthetics of infrastructure. I believe it was. Seen, the unseen, and the aesthetics of infrastructure. Um, the seen, the unseen, and the aesthetics of infrastructure. Yes. Yeah. Two thousand twelve. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I took a class at the Harvard School of Government, at the John F. Kennedy School of Government, uh, on informal economies. While, while uh, studying um, fine art as an undergraduate student in New York City, um, coming from California, never having lived in New York City or, or any East Coast city, in 2005, the first thing that I noticed was um, that at certain times of day, uh, black women uh, women who look like me uh, would populate certain thoroughfares, um, so much so that the space would be transformed by their presence. And they uh, were almost always pushing baby carriages or helping elderly people using walkers or pushing wheelchairs. And the people in walkers and wheelchairs and carriages were always white. And um, and I had just never seen anything like that before. It was like the streets became flooded, like the, like the pub public space, what I identified and became uh, fixated on um, is how um, the built environment is transformed by bodies laboring informally, meaning that they are, you know, they, they have no, um, uh, what I learned later, you know, my language evolved over time, but um, with no social protections. So formal employment means that you have social security, you, you have uh, cer certain benefits, uh, um, you know, you may have health care, you definitely aren't in danger or breaking any laws for working. How long was it until you started noticing that? Hmm? How long I noticed it? it almost immediately when I moved to New York from California. Where, which uh, part of New York did you live in? I was living in the East Village. 
uh, I was going to the school at the Cooper Union School of Art, um, the Cooper Union for the Advancement of Science and Art, on uh, Third, where Third meets the where Third Avenue meets the Bowery, Third uh, Avenue and St. Mark's Place. Um, so around there, there's Union Square Park, there's Washington Square Park. You know, it's a walking city, and I just noticed that. Well, you know, what I really began to notice was there there weren't very many people like me in my school. You know, there's only so many. I wasn't the only black woman, not at all. But there, um, it was a, it was definitely like a minoritized situation. Then I noticed while hanging out in the park and doing some drawing assignments, I noticed that there were that's where the women who who wrapped their heads like I wrapped my head at the time, and you know, whose skin looked like mine, whose cheekbones, and you know, like that that's where I saw myself. I saw myself physically in these women in the park, and I noticed that they were all working, um, and that the labor was intimate, that the labor was domestic, but it was taking shape in public. I think that I thought that was interesting. That there was this like uh, like very um, clear and significant juxtaposition um, of the public and private. I'm actually very glad that that was that the, that you touched on that because one of my following questions. Well, this is my next question. Um, I read about your performance piece, the High Tide uh, Red-Handed, mm-hmm. where you dressed up as a female janitor at the new, new school in Manhattan. Yeah. And then first, with a red oil stick, you drew a picture of a domestic worker caring for a small child. Uh-huh. And then next, you picked up a, some cleaner, probably Windex, uh-huh. uh, and you wiped the whole window down, yeah. including the drawing. Uh-huh. Um, so the question is, why is the, a, a performance like that important to you? Because as my understanding of performance is, it happens once. If you were there, you saw it. If you weren't there, you missed it. Um, what did that performance mean to you, and why is it even significant? Mm. Well, what I discovered while in that class studying with Martha Alter Chen, who you should um, check out. You should check out her work. She's uh, one of the foremost specialists um, and experts. Um, who, uh, who researches and writes about and takes action around women who labor informally, internationally. Um, a lot of people would refer to that work, uh, that, that segment of, of laborers as black market workers, you know, people who work under the table. Martha Alter Chen was teaching the class on informal economies at the School of Government. And it was there, being the only artist in this room full of people who were gonna be like future, future government leaders and. NGO workers and stuff. It was really interesting to be at that table. It was like a, a United Nations type of thing. You know, like literally, you know, some of them may go on to be dictators, which is known to happen in, from the School of Government at Harvard. But um, it was a very eye-opening experience to, to really focus on um, global economic policy. So I didn't want to be an artist who was only observing, was only observing, was only like uh, uh, acting out um, I didn't want my practice to arise solely from my own observations, my limited observations. So what that class did is it, it, it opened up my eyes to um, a whole nother realm of like uh, global economics that I had, n- I had no idea about. And I started to learn about classical economic theory, classical conservative economic theory, um, as it, as it uh, relates to uh, more progressive economic theories. Uh, like uh, James Hines became my favorite um, economic theorist. Um, the um, progressive theories, like Hines's theories, acknowledge 
the need for visualizing the humanity of the movement of capital. Mm -hmm. Classical economic theory um, anticipates uh, a formal economy that will subsume informal subsistence labor, that everything will be categorized and... Um, what do you mean by subsume? It will take it over. That there will be no informal, there, there will be no under, under the table payment for anything. That, that's what uh, um, the Lewis turning point that's the Lewis turning point that 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 assumed uh, that assumed that eventually a time would come when uh, when there would be no more subsistence uh, labor and everything would be taxed and everything. everything would everything would be monitored and everything would be formalized. I have fifty cents in my bag. I think if I can grab it. Or I should. Oh, I probably don't. No, I don't. I have a dollar. I need to go. I have to do a dollar. I don't have to do a dollar. I thought I had a dollar. This is just going terribly for me. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I'm sorry. I thought I did. I cleaned it out this morning. So there's that. So yeah. So what I saw missing was um, the image of the image of labor. You know, so like there's um, the the way classical economic theory talks about uh, labor is um, uh, it's like it's 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 a dehumanized figure. It doesn't acknowledge just uh, numbers. Yeah, yeah, just 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 numbers and speculation. Um, and uh, so I saw an opening there. Um, first thing that came to my mind was that my aunts, uh, my great aunts from, who were from Texas, who were, who were from White Rock, Texas, worked for years as domestic workers um, here in Texas and in California. And they bought houses, they bought property, they owned Cadillacs, they worked um, with no social protections until like the 80s sometime. Um, and uh, they never really talked about their work, but their work allowed like multiple generations of my family to live. Um, so, you know, I started to see myself in the the economic theory, the, the critique of economic theory. I started to see my family's narrative. Um, uh, you know, informal labor, informal labor is um, often mostly done by people of color, internationally by women of color, migrant women of color who are supporting multiple families. Um, and who absorb extraordinary amounts of risk. So if something happens to my body while I'm doing that work, if I hurt myself, I have no social protection, I have no social security, I have no, I have no medical benefits. Um, if, a, if an employer refuses to pay, there's, there's no recourse. Now, increasingly, there's um, you know, the Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights that, uh, that's happened in, uh, in New York and, and I think in California as well. But when I first started this inquiry, that wasn't the case. What year was it when you took that class? I and mean, then what year was it when you did the performance? I started looking in 2005. I took that class in 2011. Um, I did the performance in 2012. So by the time, um, and I should add that uh, while I was um, doing projects like cre creating Mad Libs and drawing from people in the park and um, I, I did a number of projects at, at, at Cooper Union around around this issue, and then I, and then I stopped because I felt like I was being uh, voyeuristic and um, exploitative. 
But then I found myself actually doing the work and I felt like I could continue. I had deferred for a semester and ended up, uh, I, I was supposed to be a personal assistant and then I ended up being um, uh, a nanny to two boys. And, um, and then I felt like I could continue on. Your perspective shifted the and then, uh, now it's like, well, okay, now that I'm doing this, it's no yeah, longer it's okay. capitalizing because now it's also part of my experience. Yeah, I wasn't personally. being a cultural vulture. Yeah. I, it, was, I was, it was actually happening. Um, and I could speak from it uh, firsthand. And then by the time I got to Harvard, um, you know, because at MIT you can take classes at Harvard. By the time I got there, then my eyes really opened because that whole time from 2005 to 2011, it never occurred to me that this was about my family's labor history, that this was the work that my aunts had done. Because in California, you don't see them in the street. You know, you don't see black women in the street generally mm -hmm. like that, or you didn't. Um, you, uh, uh, the women who do that work uh, will drive to their employers' houses. You know what I mean? Like there, there are photo albums in which we see what the work environment looked like for my aunts. But in New York, it's in the street. In New York, public space is transformed by these brown bodies, some of whom don't even consider themselves black. Um, but, they, but we look a lot, you know, depending on like the politics of their, you know, Latin American heritage or whatever. Um, but these, you know, informal labor bodies are transforming space. Anyways, I, I veered, I'm sorry. So I did, the, but I did the performance. When I did that performance at the new school, it was the second iteration of that performance. I'd done it once in Cambridge. And I did my best. Of, oh, I was wearing this. This was the uniform dress. Could, the, you, it's, could you describe it? Um, it's a princess cut dress. Somebody actually made it. I found it at a Goodwill store. It's sleeveless, though, and it actually goes down to my ankles, although today I have it tucked in because it's so hot. Um, now I just wear it because I think it's cute, but at the time I bought it to, um, to be a uniform for the first, the first attempt at, the, at um, executing this performance. When I did it at the new school, I found the princess cut dress that I saw in the pictures of my aunt's, my, my great aunt's uniform. All yeah, all white princess cut domestic workers uniform. And that was an interesting experience going to find that because I found that at, a, at a, uh, an old, old uniform store in Chinatown. And the owner was surprised when I, I called looking for that. I came and picked it up and he was very interested because he was like, this used to be the uniform for all domestic servants, all domestic workers. This was the uniform. I could never keep it in stock. Now they sit and collect dust. You know, I, I was the first one to come looking for it in a really long time. So that was got, you know, got some interesting history from him too, just in purchasing it. So, um, so yeah, so that, that performance was meaningful because it was the first time that I was actually seeking to embody not only the labor of the women that I'd been observing, but at that point I, you know, had a, had a, an extraordinary self-realization into my family's own lineage of labor and economic, uh, participation in global labor economic policy, mm -hmm. that we are actually a part of a global narrative yes. of, uh, of labor. And, um, and so I sought to embody them. You know, I sought to, you know, uh, what is it, to conjure them by wearing that uniform. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. And, the, and then and the window at the new school was very big and very beautiful. Um, and it was, uh, I had a lot of cleaning to do. So the way that performance works is I draw from memory, you know, from that time, those times that I would like sketch women in the park, I'll, you know, draw uh, large scale uh, woman, faceless child. I think I accidentally drew a face in the child, I forgot. But the child is supposed to be faceless also to suggest that we don't know who that child is. 
could be my child, could be somebody else's child. It's a child. Um, and then as soon as the drawing is done, I'm doing it in oil stick. As soon as it's done, then I attack it immediately. I don't allow it to be precious. And um, immediately my labor, my labor, my manual labor of drawing becomes then merged with the manual labor of cleaning. Mm -hmm. And what I've gotten to observe and what other people who've been there, who've been present while it's happened have been able to observe with me is that, um, you know, it's a mirror or it's a, it's a, it's a glass. It's, it's not a mirror. It's a, it's a piece of glass. So I can be seen on the street. So the drawing happens and the drawing happens against the backdrop of the street, against the movement of capital. Um, uh, it's just a line. It's a, it's, a, it's a figure. It's a line figure. And um, as you're drawing it, do people stop and take people photos? stop and look? Yeah, because they're because they know that they're watching an artwork happen because I'm drawing to scale. I'm drawing uh, as photorealistically as I can with line on glass. But what's also happening is um, there is um, there's there's a plan on invisibility happening. This is the scene and the scene, this goes back to the scene, the unseen, and the aesthetics of infrastructure. What does infrastructure look like? What does infrastructure really look like? It actually looks like me. You know? Um, it, it looks like the, the, the person wearing the, the, maybe wearing a domestic worker's uniform or maybe, you know, in street clothes, in regular street clothes, uh, pushing someone else's baby in a carriage. All the people who keep the wheels moving. Right. Um, that are, um, and, and, you know, uh, another big thing about that is that, you know, I don't have issues with citizenship. I was born here, but a lot of women, a lot of people work informally. Um, are absorbing yet even more risk because they are here. Uh, they're they're migrants. They're undocumented migrants. So that's why it was called red-handed. You know, there's all sorts of laws being broken. The laws that are actually being broken are being broken by the people who employ. But the risk that that is absorbed in the in the punitive response is doled out to the people who are already the most vulnerable in the situation. The people who are in need of that employment. People who are employed by people who benefit from formal employment, pensions, health care, social security. Um, those are our customers. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, so you know, so there's, you know, there's, I like puns. There are a number of puns happening here. So, you know, visibility, invisibility, hyper, hyper, the hyper, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 Invisible Man talks about, you know, the book Invisible Man. Ralph Ellison talks yes. about this, you know, like to be at once hyper visible and hyper invisible, invisible in a city that you will, that it, that runs because you are there. Um, so anyways, I draw this, people look, people, people, people see that, that, you know, some sort of like mural glass thing is happening. It's really nice. It's beautiful. As soon as it's done, I start cleaning it. Different and then completely. Yes. It they changes just, they immediately. They just keep walking. Uh huh. I become invisible. Nobody's caring that you're even. There. Well, I'm just. Well, I'm. I'm cleaning your work. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh. A writer named Christian Holland was present at that moment when the change happened. Um. Uh, at the the preview, the press preview. That was a preview for uh, a wonderful festival called Art Not Places that happens in New York City. Um, that's founded by uh, an, an incredible artist and educator named uh, Ed Woodham. Um, but Christian happened to 
be interviewing me while I was, uh, just as I started cleaning. And he saw the change happen. And he noticed that the only other people who noticed me or who recognized me or acknowledged my presence from that moment on, once I started cleaning, were other people who were in uniforms who were walking by working, black people. <laughs> um, and that was that was something. I you know you can't, I don't plan any of that. You know sure. it's, it's a public piece. It's just it's just happening. Did you it's, expect it's that? Were you expecting that? Uh, no, no, not necessarily. I mean, you know, at that when I'm in that when I'm in that moment, Ash, like I'm just trying to clean that window because I actually have other things to do, and I have to make sure, like uh, when putting on that performance, I have to leave leave the place better than I found it. You know what I mean? I can't ask someone to let me. It's also a play on graffiti. I used to tag when I was younger. So it's also like funny to like t get to tag up somebody's window, but I have to clean it. And <laughs> so, you know, at that, like it's just work. It really is just work. So I'm just like, you know, sweating and huffing and, and cleaning this glass and um, you know, whatever happens, happens. But yeah, that's that's generally what happens is that I, I immediately become uh, invisible. And you become a real, you know, just a real worker to everyone else. Not, yeah. No longer the artist. Right, which some artists would say, that's what we are, that's what we're doing anyway. You know what I mean? Like the, that, you know, the manual labor, it's just, it's manual labor. It's, and it's not without thought. None of it is without, without thought, whether I'm drawing or whether I'm cleaning, it's all manual labor. During your, the talk um, at PRH, Project Grow House. What's that? I didn't even show you guys that work. Um, I thought about it, but. Oh. That's the end of part one of our interview with Tamashi Jackson at Project Row House. Keeping it a little bit short because we don't want to overload you guys with greatness. Greatness. Uh, yeah, tune in next time uh, and keep your eyes open because our next part of that interview is uh, a great discussion on color theory and her work. Um, her time volunteering at the NAACP Boston branch in 2014, as well as her approach to visual art through trying to visualize legislative history. Um, this episode is sponsored by my mother who uh, gave me birth in <laughs> 1992 on July 9th. And, uh, with that, uh, we'll see you next time. This is the very black male signing off. 100.